What I love about the tours in D.C., especially your tour, is that there's so much to see in D.C. that you're not going to stay at a place for very long. And for kids to keep their interest, that's perfect. So our daughter has been on a number of walking tours, and she has yet to get fussy or bored because the locations change so often because there's so much to see, but it keeps their interest. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode six of the Trip Hacks DC podcast. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or see the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by the Trip Hacks DC Guide to Washington DC ebook. The new edition of the book is packed with all the information you need to help plan your trip. It is now available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, and you can find it by searching for Trip Hacks DC on Amazon. Today, I am joined by Austin Graff, and we are going to talk about tips for exploring Washington DC with kids. Austin is one of the only dad bloggers in the city. When he's not at work, he loves exploring the -the off-the-beaten-path Washington, D.C. sites with his two-year-old daughter and wife. After growing up in Russia and Kazakhstan, he now proudly calls Washington, D.C. home for the last 12 years. You can follow him on Instagram as at Austin K. Graff and as at D.C. Urban Dad. And I will leave a link to both of those handles in this episode's show notes so that you can check them out. So, Austin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Rob. Absolutely. And just a quick story about how we met and how I came to ask you to join the podcast. You actually came on one of my tours. I did. And I loved it. Actually, that was my second DC tour, having lived in the city for 12 years and one of my favorites. It was amazing. So I think, you know, tours are something that people think about for visitors, but, uh, you know, they're great for locals too. They are. Yeah. Cause I think I, my running path is a national mall and the, the structures are beautiful and I love history and facts. And even after doing research, I learned so many new facts on your tour. So I recommend it for locals, like definitely book a tour. The way I usually describe it is to say that if you're a local and you're coming on the tour, I'm kind of giving you training because eventually you're going to have family or you're going to have friends that come to town and maybe they don't want to sign up with me because they want to spend time with you and, you know, you don't want to go and get out to the National Mall and feel like you don't know anything. So, you know, you get a little bit of training for for what's out there. It's so true. I actually posted, I did an Instagram story on your tour and most of the comments, the direct messages I received were from local DC people saying, thank you so much. I had no idea about this fact about the Lincoln Memorial, the story behind the Vietnam Memorial. So you did a great job. And your stories. So we did talk about your Instagram handles. I feel like your Instagram pictures are amazing, but your stories are really what sort of set you apart, kind of make you well known in the social media world. You do stories almost every day, uh, if not every day. It feels like to me when I'm looking, it's it's every day and, and they're really great. I do. Thank you so much. I love it. I see Instagram stories specifically as a way to fall in love with the city again, because it forces me to start to notice the details. Even if I'm walking between where I work at the Washington Post to a different part of town for a meeting, it forces me to go into the alleys and talk to some of the shop owners and kind of learn the history so that I can post it on my story. And it makes me fall in love the city again every single day. And that's what I like about it is because as a tour guide, I spend so much time in the same place and not to say that that's not an amazing place, but you know, you get to see lots of different places. And so I kind of live vicariously through you and your, your Instagram stories. So you've been doing the DC urban dad for two years. I have. Yes. It's been two years. And uh, to give the audience a sense of uh, why I think you're the best person to uh, be on this podcast is that 
Uh, when I started Trip Hacks DC, I made a couple of videos with Tina, who used to do a great website called Do DC with Kids. And unfortunately, Tina no longer lives in DC, uh, so she doesn't do the website anymore. But I did reach out to her and I said, you know, I'm, I'm starting the podcast and I want to do this episode, but I, I don't know who's the you anymore. And she said, oh, it's definitely Austin. You got to go with him. Oh, well, that is it. Tina's a good friend. And she's she's very generous. I can never live up to what Tina was in DC. Tina, what I like about Tina was that she wasn't trying to build a business behind using Instagram or even being a blogger. She just really used it as a way to kind of force her way out of the house with her, her child, with Uwe, and explore DC. And it worked. People resonated with it. She was refreshingly honest. And she lives now in Austin, Texas, and does similar work down there in Austin. I'm actually going to see her in a few months when I go down there for work. But I could never live up to her standards. So Tina, you're awesome. Thank you. So Tina, if you're listening, well done. And uh, thank you for bringing Austin over to me and to the podcast. So let's start off with some of the things that are, I guess, what I wrote down as the obvious kid-friendly things in D.C. to do. And the way I came up with this is that I went on Google and I literally typed in things in D.C. to do with kids. And there's no shortage of blog posts and articles. And I feel like when you do that, you get a few things in every single one of them, like the National Zoo, the Natural History Museum, and the Air and Space Museum. So what do you think about those places? Are those places that are good for kids? Have you been there? What are your takes on them? Yeah, those are definitely great for children. I will say some of the obvious choices may be good for children of certain ages and not good for maybe younger children. And also some of those museums that kids love, some of the parents don't. So I usually recommend museums that I feel like from experience on exploring with my daughter and wife, which museums are interesting for both and kind of all kids of all ages. And I would recommend a lot of the museums off the mall, actually, including the National Building Museum, which is in near Chinatown. It's um, kind of a undiscovered museum when it comes to tourists, but it has huge open space and some really interesting exhibits for adults, but also some fascinating exhibits for kids, like real life, like kitchens that they can play in and different areas like that. The whole open space has all these building blocks kids can play in and even teenagers enjoy that as well. So definitely explore off the mall buildings and museums like that, including the National Postal Museum as well, which is by Union Station. There's a lot of, that's probably one of the most interactive museums for kids of all ages in D.C., and it's not even close to them all. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, kids is probably too broad as a general topic. You know, you have small children like your two-year-old daughter. You have teenagers who have very, very different interests. I know I give a lot of tours that have teenagers come on them, and so to lump everybody together is probably not fair. So I appreciate that you brought that up up front. Um, you know, to me, I think one thing that I think about and I tell people when I think about museums is that our museums are family-friendly, but but just because they're family friendly doesn't mean that they're kid interesting. And nature is by their very nature, a lot of them are a lot of reading um, and a lot of artifacts that, you know, may be fascinating. The history to me is the best part of it. But to someone who's too young to really appreciate that history might be a total bore. Exactly. And my daughter always teaches me things when we explore museums. Um, my wife had seven months off of paid maternity leave. Shout out to her previous company for that. And so we explored a lot of museums and forced my daughter to do the same as well. And it was a good way to see where her eyes gravitated toward. So even on her f first birthday, we went to the Natural History Museum, which often makes a list of things to do with kids. And it wasn't the giant elephant in the lobby that most kids find interesting. It was the, the jewel exhibit and specifically the 
the diamond of hope, I believe it's called the hope diamond, the hope diamond, the hype, the hope diamond. She loved, which was unexpected. So that I use that as a gauge of what other museums in DC she may like, because apparently she likes diamonds, which means I'm in trouble in, in a few years. <laughs> yeah, whenever I have kids on tour and they tell me that they went to the Natural History Museum, I, I ask, did you like the bones, the bugs, or the gems? And it's funny because I get all three answers, and it really depends on the person. People have different interests. And this is true not just for kids but for adults too. My my general museum advice is go to the places that have the stuff that you think might be interesting because not everything is interesting to everybody. And you only have a limited amount of time here, so you don't really have time to waste. So the National Zoo, this is, I think, the number one on every one of those lists. Every family with kids goes to the National Zoo. When you go there on a weekend, you see everybody pushing their strollers up the hill to get to the zoo. So what are the things at the zoo that you think are uh, worthwhile checking out? Oh, good question. Um, I might say something that a lot of people will disagree with. So I, I, I do enjoy zoos. Not everyone does. My wife is not a big zoo fan. So she actually has one of our best friends. Um, she has a deal with our daughter that she is the aunt that our daughter will go to the zoo with just so my wife doesn't have to. Because once you've been to one zoo, you've kind of been to them all. And I do think there are some zoos that are better than others in the United States. I love our zoo because it is free. And then I think where they shine is in the programming that they do. So if you're visiting D.C. with kids and want to go to the zoo, just do a quick Google search or go to their website and see what events they might have during your stay. Um, during different seasons, they have events that appeal to both kids and adults. So Zoo Lights is a popular event that my wife doesn't love um, during the holiday season where they have all these lit up animals. They have Brew in the Zoo, which is a beer festival within the zoo. So they try to cater to the parents as well as the kids. So definitely Google that. I Again, I like the National Mall that it's free, but it is a lot of walking. So it is a pretty big zoo. And my friends in Michigan, where I went to college, when they visit D.C., every time we go to the zoo, oftentimes the animals aren't out. It, it's harder to see them. So my friends joke that we have the worst zoo in America, which I don't think is true. I think there's a lot of pluses to it. But just be prepared to, to walk a lot. And it is a part of town that is very far from the National Mall. So it will be make a day of it. It will definitely require public transit. So just know those things before you go and decide if it's for you or not for you. I feel like whenever I go to the National Zoo, the pandas are always asleep. I don't think I've ever seen them awake. There are only four zoos in the United States that have giant pandas. The National Zoo in Washington, D.C. is one of them, and it is the only one of those four that is also completely free. So, you know, it's not... I think you're right. It, it might not be the biggest. It might not be the grandest uh, zoo in America or the world, but it is the best free one, probably. Yes, I definitely agree. And definitely take advantage of the houses that they have. So go into the reptile house, for example, because um, there you can always be guaranteed to see reptiles. So make sure you hit up the monkey house and the reptile house, every single house that's there. And then even if this is your fifth or seventh time to D.C., I think there is a sole reason to go back because they're constantly improving it and building in new exhibits or enhanced exhibits. Bit, so definitely check it out. You mentioned before you do a lot of walking, and it's worth noting, it's not just a lot of walking, it's a lot of uphill walking. The zoo is built on a giant hill, so it's not just that you're walking around, it's that you're pushing a stroller potentially up a giant hill and then back down. So that can be a little exhausting if you're not used to doing that. And if you're someone that likes to see kind of the real 
people behind the city of, of when you visit. It's in between two really interesting neighborhoods. You have Woodley Park, which is the front entrance of the National Mall. That is a very much a historic neighborhood in D.C. And then behind it is a neighborhood that I used to live in called Mount Pleasant, where some of the um, the like lion cage and a few other the cages were almost in my backyard, which is exciting and kind of scary if they ever escape, which has not happened. But definitely, if you get sick of the zoo, try to explore those two neighborhoods, Mount Pleasant and Woodley Park, to kind of see where, where the people live in the city. Yeah, great tip. So I want to ask you about a blog post that you wrote about visiting the National Gallery of Art with your daughter. The National Gallery of Art is a fantastic art museum, uh, one of the best in the United States, maybe maybe not one of the best in the world if you've traveled the world, but it's a great art museum. And it seemed like you guys had a great time. That is not one that I would consider to be a, a kid-friendly uh, or a place where you would want to bring a small child. So what did you do and wh- why was it such a great experience? Yeah, so I think because I have a two-year-old daughter, she is less interested in the actual exhibits with the exception of the Jewel and Gem exhibit at the Natural History Museum. But she likes more so the spaces and what the spaces have to offer. So actually, that is her favorite museum, is the National Gallery of Art. One, it's huge. You have the West Building and the East Building. The West Building is more historic, older art. And the East Building is more modern art. But both are massive spaces. And she loves, kids love big spaces to run around in. And so she just loves the sheer space of that museum. But she also loves water. Her favorite word is agua, which is water in Spanish. My daughter speaks Spanish as well. And they have some of the best fountains in any museum in D.C. So she loves to look at the fountain. She may or may not try to swim in the fountain on occasion. And she also likes lights. She's at the age where just lights are very fascinating and intriguing to her. And there is a really interesting walkway that even adults like that connect the West Building to the East Building. And it's kind of like a, a, um, a walkway you find in an air, a moving walkway you find in an airport but it's in this dark tunnel that's lit up with some interesting lights and she could do that for hours going up and down up and down that so i think it's less about the art even though the art is fascinating and on the rooftop of the east building there's a giant blue rooster that's there that kids really enjoy so some of the art is fascinating for kids but it's really just the space that they really like and they also have a good coffee shop in the basement for the parents yeah some of the best food on the national mall is in that museum and that makes total sense to me. I hadn't even considered just the space consideration. And another thing that I just thought of as you were describing that is that it's not one of the most popular museums. I mean, they're all popular and they're all crowded, but uh, compared to like Air and Space or Natural History, which get really crowded, uh, this one has a little bit more room to spread out and uh, relax. You know, you're no, you don't feel like you're bumping shoulders all the time. Exactly. And that is one difference, I think, of the mindset of tourists versus locals in any city. Uh, when I'm a tourist, I have a bucket list of things I want to see, which may include an exhibit. Whereas as if you're local and you live in the city, especially as a parent, you're looking for more the space that you can take your child to, to create an experience. And so I'm starting to see museums in D.C. around that, like what spaces do we all enjoy as a family? And the National Gallery of Art is one of them. Another one is the Portrait Gallery and the American Art Museum in Chinatown. They have an amazing courtyard that is huge open space, beautiful place to study in or, or even meet a friend for coffee. But they also have a really interesting fountain that a lot of kids like as well. We recently went there and my daughter got very wet. So we just um, put her in a, in a diaper and she was running around that courtyard. And, and luckily people thought it was cute versus annoying. Yeah, I mean, I see kids running around in that courtyard all the time and it's hard to be upset because it's you know such a big space and um, a great chance for them to 
uh, you know, get a little bit of energy out. So uh, another question about when you're down by the museums and you're down uh, by the National Mall is you're going to be walking around, you're potentially going to be seeing the monuments and the memorials. And it's, you know, when you came on my tour, you were by yourself, so you weren't with your family. But, you know, you've been there with your family before. What's the strategy you try to take when it comes to getting around, you know, making sure that uh, your daughter doesn't get too tired or doesn't wear out or something like that. Exactly. So maybe this is our DC-ness coming out, but we're all about efficiency and maximizing time so that we can explore more with our daughter and as a family. And so we don't want to be stopped by big strollers. So we actually swear by a very lightweight stroller that we got on a recent trip to Toronto that we took as a family. And you, you can get almost the exact model at Costco for about $9. It's just the travel lightweight stroller. And that's very mobile because it's so small that you don't have to use the metro elevators when you go in the metros. Because as we found the hard way, if you take the elevators, it adds probably 10 minutes to your commute just because they're a little bit more out of the way and harder to find at times. So this way, our daughter can kind of hop in and out as she pleases if she's tired. And then even now, we still use the Ergo Baby often because we'd rather have her attached to us because it's just faster that way. And then we try to keep her entertained. What I love about the tours in D.C., especially your tour, is that there's so much to see in D.C. that you're not going to stay at a place for very long. And for kids to keep their interest, that's perfect. So our daughter has been on a number of walking tours, and she has yet to get fussy or bored because the locations change so often because there's so much to see, but it keeps their interest. Yeah, and I have kids on my tour all the time, and that's something that I try really hard to make sure is happening because I don't want kids to get bored because once they get bored and they start getting fussy, that's when things start to go south. And, and I have two versions of the tour. I do a two-hour version in the winter, and then I do a, a three-hour version the rest of the year, and you know, both seem like they're perfectly doable for kids. Uh, if you have smaller kids, like five years and under, I do. that's when I typically recommend the stroller. And this is um, sort of a tricky one because you, you get to that age where they're you're trying to wean them off the stroller. You're trying to get them to walk around. But when you come, it might be a good idea to bring it anyway, even if you know, you're trying to get them off or they're a little bit older than what they typically would be stroller age. Because when you're doing all this walking and you're, you're going to all these places, it's worth having it at least as a backup. And then definitely do your, your research and make a gut call if you need to the morning of. We did a recent walk of the historic St. Elizabeth Hospital, which is a historic hospital in Southeast DC, close to where I live. And it's under construction thanks to Homeland Security. So they don't give tours often, about once or twice a year. And we were on a tour a few weeks ago and it was very cold. And after two hours of a tour, our daughter was done just because she was cold. And we should have had the foresight to to at least just not go or cancel just to, to save people time. And the tour organizers were very generous because we left only 30 minutes early but make sure you do your research and make that gut call of whether or not you should go based on the weather in D.C., which can be un unpredictable at times. I say it's often unpredictable. Look, looking even a few days out, I have no idea what the weather is going to be. So how about getting around in D.C.? You've talked a few times already about using the metro. Is that the best way to get around when you have a kid or when you have a stroller with you? I, I think so. That's one of them. So my, my family, we try to walk as much as we can. And D.C., when I first moved to D.C., I strictly used the metro. I, I didn't have a car. And I thought D.C. was a lot bigger than it is. But it's a pretty small city. Um, we have just under a million people who live within the city. But we don't have much space. And so it's actually very walkable. And so we try to walk to as many places as we can. 
And we do often, we have staycations in D.C. and try to stay within just a two or three neighborhood radius, and that works out very well. So we just walk all, everywhere. But the metro is also a great place. Kids love trains, usually. Um, my daughter, at age two, loves riding the metro, so any excuse for that. And then the buses as well are very easy to navigate with kids. And then if you have that lightweight stroller, that shouldn't be an issue. I wouldn't try to ride the bus specifically with a, a bigger, bulkier stroller. Um, the metro can usually handle it, but the buses, it's, it gets a little bit more complicated because they're smaller. So I would try to walk everywhere. And then we are starting to have more and more Ubers that allow and lifts that allow kids. But I would, most of them don't have car seats. And if they do, it's a lot more expensive. So I would buy a very lightweight car seat that you can just carry with you if necessary. So you can plug that into a lift or an Uber. When you say they allow kids, you mean they allow uh, car seats yes, for kids? Yes, car seats. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, and when you use the metro, you mentioned earlier the elevator situation. I think the official rule for metro is that if you have an, a stroller, you have to use the elevator. You're not allowed to take them on the escalator. Unofficially, you know, people do what they do. So when you use that really lightweight stroller, how are you getting that in and out of the... Uh, the system. Good question. So because it's so lightweight and it folds up, you can't really tell that it's a stroller. It's so small. And so we always use the escalator and have our daughter exit it. And then she'll hold my wife's hand and get on the escalator. And then I'll fold up the stroller before I get on the escalator. And then the Metro has no problem with that. Okay. That makes total sense. And just a word of advice, if you do have a bigger, bulkier stroller, eh, the Metro is not always the most reliable. Uh, you know, just in the last episode of the podcast, we talked about, uh, metro a lot and why locals might not like it so much as, as visitors. And one of the reasons is that it's often a little unreliable. And so if you're traveling to a certain station and you get there and the elevator's broken, then you're kind of stuck. Uh, and, you know, there are some processes that you can uh, take advantage of, but they're not they're not easy to do and, and not really worth it for most people. So if you can avoid using the elevators, um, if you can, it's usually worth worth doing. So can you tell me a little bit about these staycations that you talked about? I think uh, I saw an Instagram story you did. You did a staycation in Georgetown. It looked like you were there for two or maybe three days, and it looked awesome. I wish I could do stuff like that. So what were you doing when you went, and um, you know, how did it work out having your whole family with you? Yeah, so this is a newer thing. I think in my early 20s, I would always want to take a vacation elsewhere. But now that I ha have a child, staycations are like the best thing. We love them. And my wife works for Hilton, so we get to generously stay at Hilton's across the world. So we're trying to take advantage of that and get to know D.C. even better because there's so much of the real like local living that happens in a neighborhood early in the mornings on the weekends, like farmer markets and, and things like that. And so we've done two recently, and the one you're referring to was in Georgetown. And there's a number of museums and interesting gardens that we had never visited in our 12 years in D.C., just because Georgetown's a little bit further away than from where we live in the city. But staying in this hotel and right in historic Georgetown allowed us to explore D.C. even more. So we, we did just that. We went to different farmer markets and museums, and having our daughter with us worked out well um, i think these days most hotels if not all of them have a like free pack and play they kind of have all the baby supplies that you would need and our daughter has learned to love hotels so she gets very excited and she actually really does like exploring i think we started out so young with her to explore where she has more energy than we do and always wants to go explore so all three of us took advantage of that and just explored georgetown so one of the benefits of picking a hotel that's close to the stuff that you want to see is that 
and, and this is true whether you're uh, you know an adult traveling without a kid or and probably more so with a kid is that when they get tired you can just pop back take a nap take a break uh, just relax and then go back out and that way you don't feel like you know if you're staying 10 miles away that you got to cram it all in because you get a commute back out to your hotel later in the day exactly and that's very much the strategy that we try to deploy and then also both my wife and I like to explore as well and um, we, we love children but we also want to, to maintain part of kind of who we are as well so we have a deal that if we take like a two-day staycation one day during our daughter's nap I'll go out and explore on my own and then the next day I'll stay in and my wife will go out and explore on her own and that's so life-giving to us so that way not all of us are kind of stuck in this hotel room and if you're staying right in the center of of the places you want to explore it's really easy to slip out and do that so do you remember the name of the hotel for people who want to potentially check it out? I could put it in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that one was called the um, the Graham Hotel in Georgetown. And then we also stayed at a great one in Logan Circle, which is close to the National Mall and some other more historic neighborhoods called the Darcy Hotel. Those are uh, those are very good to know because I do maintain a hotel guide that people ask me for every once in a while. And I'm definitely going to look those up and potentially add them onto there. So one question that people ask me all the time, and, and I hate to say this, but I'm often at a loss. I don't know a good answer to this question, so I'm hoping you could help me out, is there's plenty of things to do with kids during the day. The National Mall opens at 8 a.m., the museums close at 5.30 p.m., and there's so many family-friendly activities you can do during the daylight hours. But after 6 o'clock, once happy hour rolls around, uh, it seems like a lot of those things close. And what can you do with uh, someone who's, you know, both a small child, but just generally under 18 during those uh, evening hours? Yeah, good question. So we have a running list of activities we can do after 6 o'clock. My wife and I, we both work full time and usually get home around 6, 6.30 and are always looking for things to do once we get home with our daughter to spend quality time with her. So there are a few museums that actually stay open later. Some stay open later just in the summers and others year-round, like the National Building Museum usually closes at 7, and then a few others as well. The Portrait Gallery usually stays open a little bit later um, year-round, but especially in the summers as well. And some of these museums have evening events as well that kids are welcome to. So my daughter has been to the National Gallery of Arts um, Evenings on the Edge, they're, I believe they're called. It's it's like the third or fourth final Thursday of each month, and kids are welcome to that as well. And then there's a lot of interesting markets that stay open late, like Union Market in Northeast D.C. is kind of a food hall. It's been written up in so many different publications. My daughter loves that because there's a lot of shops and there's tons of people and so many different places to eat inside. That stays open late as well as Union Station, which is our historic train station. But it's more than that. There's a lot of different shops. There's a really, in my opinion, one of the best used bookstores in the city that a lot of people don't even know about on the second floor that has a really good used children book section for with really cheap books. And it's just a beautiful space. It's a big space. So my daughter loves running around in that as well. And then if you come during the summer, there's a lot of splash parks that stay open really late. And all the parks, of course, stay open 24, 24-7. And then if you come during the winter, all the outdoor ice rinks, they stay open later as well. So the one at the Sculpture Garden, Canal Park, Georgetown has one. Our new District Wharf has a ice skating rink that's on the water. All those stay open late as well. 
and the splash parks, those are the the fountains that shoot the water in all directions. And every time I go near one, there's always like 50 kids running around and getting wet and having fun. But that's what you're talking about, right? Exactly, yeah. And, and as D.C. becomes a more family-friendly city, in the past, oftentimes the narrative went, once you had kids, you moved to the suburbs of D.C. But more and more families are intentionally choosing to stay in the city to raise their children. And with that, there's so many splash parks and just kid playgrounds. We have free rec- recreation centers that have some of the, in my opinion, the best playgrounds in America, and those stay open late as well. Yeah, that's that's great. Those are things that I uh, hadn't re- even really thought about. So very good to know. Union Market, of course, very, very popular right now. If you are consider yourself a foodie, you probably have heard about it, read about it in one of the many magazines. But if not, I'll leave a link to it in the show notes so that you can check it out and explore. Very popular for Instagrammers as well. Lots of uh, colorful things to, to see and stand in front of over there. Exactly. So. So speaking of food, uh, you know, when you travel, a big part of the trip is eating your way through the city or exploring the local restaurants or food scene or coffee scene. And when you have kids, I feel like some people get intimidated. They don't feel like they can go to the fancy restaurants. They don't think that they're welcome at the Michelin star places. And so do you think that that's true? And if, if it's not, you know, what are some tips that you can take advantage of to eat at those restaurants when you have kids and, and not feel like you're unwelcome? Yeah, I think to some extent, some of that is true. So our rule of thumb as a family is if the restaurant has candles on the table, more than likely our daughter probably isn't welcome there. She may technically be welcome, but the other guests may not enjoy having her there. So we try to avoid that with a family and kind of bookmark those to go on date night, which I do recommend to go on a date night still. And But there are more and more restaurants that welcome kids. DC is home to some of the best fast casual restaurants in America. And all of those, of course, welcome kids. They come with high chairs and even changing tables in, in both gender bathrooms or the unisex bathrooms. And then there's more and more beer gardens in D.C. And those are very kid-friendly as well. Um, one that we like going to is called The Brig, which is on Barracks Row in a neighborhood called Eastern Market within Capitol Hill. Kids are always welcome there. And actually, I'm part of a group called Dads on the Hill. And we, re- one of our the members recently put together a spreadsheet of all the different restaurants that have changing tables in the men's restrooms or the unisex restrooms. Because as DC becomes more family-friendly and, and kid-friendly, changing tables are starting to appear in the bathrooms. Whereas even five years ago, I would would often have to change um, my daughter's diaper just on the ground in a bathroom because they just weren't kid friendly. But that's changing. I have noticed that uh, and was curious about it. So it's good to hear that someone is maintaining a list of, of where those are located. I think beer gardens are the kind of place where you would never imagine that you would bring your family there. But almost all of them are very family friendly. The Brig, the one that you mentioned is advertises itself very specifically as kid-friendly and dog-friendly. So when you go there, it's a mixture of kids with their parents and dogs with their owners. And, and I am a dog owner, so I'm often there uh, with my dog. So that's a great one. But it seems like any of the beer gardens, the outdoor beer gardens, are great for the, that sort of thing. Exactly. Blue Jacket is another great one in Navy Yard. And we recently came back. My wife is from Seattle, and we didn't realize this about Seattle or Washington State, that a lot of kids aren't welcome in areas where there's a bar. And that was so foreign to us because in D.C., they, they are. And so even as a newborn, we would bring our daughter, we'd strap her in the ergo, and she'd be sleeping, and we'd go to a party of our friends hosted at a bar, and no one said anything 
um, about it. And because there's not as many kids compared to other cities, a lot of our friends like loved having a baby around because more than likely they're one of the only babies at that bar. So they had a lot of babysitters (laughs) during that time. I feel like Blue Jacket has been brought up unprompted three or four times now on this podcast. So they're going to get a lot of business from podcast listeners who keep hearing about it and wondering what's so great about it. Um, But that's a good one. And Fast Casual, you mentioned earlier. And for people who uh, might not be too familiar with the, the word, it is uh, basically Chipotle type concept, but we have so many different concepts here and they're not all national chains. So you might not recognize the, the names when you come. But what's cool about it is that they don't just cover, you know, the standard hamburgers and burritos. They've really ventured out into Mediterranean food, Indian food, and lots of other types of more unique cuisines that you might not think about when you think of fast casual. Yeah. And that's a great thing for your kid as well. My daughter eats anything thanks to the diverse set of fast casual restaurants. Our favorite is a place called Several. One is called Kava, which is more Mediterranean Greek food. That's actually DC-born fast casual chain that's now nationwide. And then a place called Ta Korean, which is Korean-Mexican fusion. Our daughter loves it, and it gives her diverse flavors as she grows older. Yeah, Takarian, one of my personal favorites. I I love eating there. Very delicious. And Kava, I actually took a family there uh, last summer. And the kids, when they walked in the door, they looked at the menu. They they didn't see words they recognized. It looked a little foreign. And they were like, oh, I don't... I don't know if I want to eat here. And then they both polished off their bowls because it was delicious. I mean, their food is really delicious. But just because, you know, the kids haven't eaten the type of food before, don't think that they might not like it. I think that it's a great opportunity. And, and it's such low stakes, too, because these places are not that expensive either. Exactly. And shout out to Kava. They do have a kids menu now as well, which you, you won't find everywhere in D.C. But Kava is one of the places that has a kid menu. One of the things that Tina mentioned when we made our video together that I, I want to resurrect is to go to... Um, an Ethiopian restaurant. And the reason she recommended it is because it's inexpensive and you eat with your hands and kids love to eat with their hands. And if they get messy, you don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel bad about it. And uh, the Ethiopian restaurants are all very family friendly. And it's possible and perhaps even likely that no one in the family has eaten there before. So it'll be a brand new experience for everyone in the family. It's not just like, you know, the parents teaching their kids something new. It's like everybody is having a new experience when they go. And so I highly recommend that. Specifically, our favorite is Ethiopic on 8th Street, a neighborhood called 8th Street. And in Ethiopia, having traveled there a few times, the culture there is very much centered around the family. And of course, a lot of these restaurants are owned by people from Ethiopia. So of course, they welcome in um, kids. And our daughter has been treated so well at all of these restaurants by the owners and staff, just because family is such a central part of their culture. And and like Rob said, you can eat with your hands, which is fun. And it's uh, they have some interesting flavors, but also some more flavors that kids really enjoy, a little bit more safe flavors as well. So highly recommend that that cultural experience. Yeah, and there was uh, a show on PBS with Marcus Samuelson. He did visit the Ethiopian restaurants in, in D.C. He has some roots in, in Ethiopia. And so it's a fascinating uh, episode if you're super curious about what is this food. It's, it's very different. One thing I actually learned from, uh, from his show is that Ethiopia is the only country in Africa that was never uh, colonized by Europe, and so it doesn't have any European influences in their food like other uh, African cuisines do. So very, very unique. And it's hard to find outside of the D.C. area because we have so many immigrants. 
That's interesting. Another, if you want to have a cultural experience, we have just outside of D.C. in a place called Annandale is one of the largest Korean-American populations in the country. And that's also a very interesting experience where one of our favorite meals that our daughter loves is called Korean barbecue. And they bring out the ingredients, different meats, thinly cut meats and pickled vegetables and a lot of different different types of food. And then you actually grill it yourself over a open fire in the middle of your table. So make sure that your younger kids are, are safe. But it's kind of a fun thing to do as a family because you grill it right there and it's very tasty and such a cultural experience. These are all really great tips, really great pieces of advice, great recommendations as well. I think that uh, everyone who's listening will uh, appreciate you know, your expertise in this area and your experience from your staycations and from uh, your dad blog and uh, your dad group and all of those other things. So I really want to thank you for coming on this episode of the podcast and sharing your expertise. Yeah, thanks again for having me. And I do, having lived here for 12 years, I really do love this city even more than the day one of when I first moved here. And I really do want tourists to fall in love with the city that I know as well. So definitely come and visit D.C. if you have one kid or 25 kids. Don't let that scare you. I think the city does want to welcome you. So hopefully you enjoy your time here. And before you come, go to the show notes, follow both of Austin's Instagram handles, and you will be dying to get here when you see how much fun he is having out and about in the city. And you're going to feel like you can't wait to get here and, and do it yourself. So thanks again, Austin. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.